Welcome to the School for Mystics podcast with Misha Saido and Marina Galan. In this podcast, Marina and I will share with you unique and contrarian perspective of how our lives really work. Hi, Marina. Hi, Misha. How are you? Good day to you. Good day to our listeners as well. Yes. And I'm so happy that we will be continuing exploring Beatitudes. Yeah. It's like part two, right? Like previously we have explored the Beatitude number one and, and, and number two. And today we'll try to explore the rest if, if, if we have enough time. Yeah, as many as we can. We're not in a hurry. We are yes. here for the, for the fun and the beauty of the exploration itself. Absolutely. So, shall I read the third one? Yes, please. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's a beautiful one, right? Yes. But you were telling me about the original meaning of the word meek. Yeah. So, originally meek means not imposing. So personally, for me, it's, you know, what struck me, there is, there is a book written by Barack Obama that I was uh, reading a while ago. Um, and what is interesting, like what one, one of the ideas that, that I truly loved that he shared is that while you can reach the you know the highest status while you can reach the top if you truly believe that it's not about you if you stay humble in your heart if you grateful for what you have but at the same time you understand the value of humility your status, your wealth will never take away the peace of mind from you. And I th thought to myself, wow, this is exactly it. You know, so many people and I'm working with like authors of bestsellers and pro athletes and, uh, you know, multi-million serial entrepreneurs and many of them have this fear of losing it all. You know, when they were starting out, they were afraid to fail. And now they're still afraid to fail. But it's like the same feeling, the same emotion. And at the same time, the circumstance is so different. Initially, they like the seven-figure entrepreneurs I'm working with, they were afraid not to make enough money. Now, they have a lot. They have more than they can ever consume. And they still are scared to lose it, to lose the money. So the, the emotion is still the same. But now, if they had this quality of humility, of being humble, of being meek, it doesn't matter how much they have. They will be always at peace. 
What do you think? Well, I love what you're pointing to. You know, like it's not about you. It's about it's about the source of everything. And and I think the more we really go into understanding oneness, the more you see that there is nothing you can keep and there is nothing you can lose because there there is nowhere to lose it to, right? But but I think I, one of one of the meanings that I that I understand in the concept of meek is um, the person that allows him or herself to be guided by something else. So what you're saying, the one that does not impose, it makes sense to me, the one that it does not impose his belief or her belief, his idea or her idea, his preference or her preference, but the one that is able to treat the preferences as preferences, the ideas as ideas, the beliefs as beliefs, but go beyond that and allow themselves to be guided by, you know, common sense, wisdom in the moment. Um, and again, the more we go into understanding oneness, the more you see that you are one with life, you are not separate from it. So you are the very essence of life. Why would life guide you somewhere that you don't need to go? Why would life bring you any experience that is not necessary or that is not beautiful in and of itself for you? So in that meekness of not imposing, of recognizing a larger wisdom, a larger sense of things that we may not understand, and this goes with what you are saying, we may not understand, but we trust we have faith. We can walk in that knowing that nothing is lost, nothing is gained. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I also understand meekness as having absolute clarity of mind and peace of mind as well. Hmm. You know, in, in physics, we... Uh, we have laws of thermodynamics. And um, one of the ideas from uh, thermodynamics is about energy, that every dispersed energy wants to concentrate it itself. And every concentrated piece of energy wants to disperse. It's like convergence and divergence. There is always a process of conversion, energy, and energy diversion. And what I noticed, and, and, and Law of Attraction talks a lot about that as well, is that similar will attract similar. That the you will get more of the same. Let's say if a person is irritated, she will get more in irritation. It's like, you know, energy field understands where there is, you know, unbalanced potential and it flows to balance the potential out. And love will bring love. Angriness and irritation and, you know, hatred will bring more of that. Because 
every energy wants to come together, right? So, but when you have the clarity of your mind, when you're meek, when you don't have any particular instructions about how reality should unfold, there is no energy to concentrate. You know, there is no field to balance you out because you are already balanced. And that means that you will inherit the earth. You will truly inherit the earth and all the beauty of it and all the great things. Since you are pure and clean and meek, you will be just getting more clarity and peacefulness and all of that. I love that concept of earth as clarity. Yeah. Yeah, like you will you will you will actually be able to see what is. You will actually be able to understand what is and collaborate with it, you know, live in it. So true. Right? Yeah. Maria, do you think people become clear? in their thinking and peaceful, or they are born this way? Or they are what, sorry? Born this way. Well, I think, <laughs> I think we are born peaceful, but we are born with the, capacity, with the capacity to obscure that peace. You know, we are born with the capacity to stir it up mm -hmm. a little bit. There was one. There is one aspect of the meekness that I would really love to to explore with you as well, Misha. That's okay with you, because it would seem like like that 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 beatitude is inviting us to you know a, an absolute submission, an absolute passivity. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I don't. I don't see it that way. Because when you are meek, when you are allowing yourself to be guided by and you enter the world of what is, we are not only referring to what is in terms of circumstance, but also in terms of what is in the inner world. So what is present in terms of, you know, desires and movements. And there is a reason, it seems to me, why life places that that natural movement towards something in you. And so allowing yourself to be guided by that movement is part of the whole deal. And so it's a, it's a meekness, but not necessarily in action, because it implies a responsibility towards life, a responsibility to, to follow the inner impulse. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I... I used to say that life will happen for you or to you. You know, it's, it's not about whether you want it or not. It's about whether you collaborate with it or not. It will happen anyways. Yes, but this, this understanding as a two-way movement, right? So I am collaborating with life, but life is also collaborating with me and we move together. Right from that from that same essence, and so it it is not a, a passivity; it is a different kind of meekness that involves and and integrates 
of movements that come naturally. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the misperceptions or confusions might be when we think about meek people as, you know, not ambitious or kind of not having their own opinion or desires or nothing like that. Like we are basically, we might think about them like parasites. Yes, like the bullied one. Yes, like bullied one. But I don't think that's the meaning here. Yes, yes, I, I completely agree. We are not referring to the ones that withstand it all. No, like a false sense of stoicism. Yeah, 100%. Here, it's about perfect wisdom, absolute clarity, and understanding and accepting of what is. There you go. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Wonderful. So, are you ready for the next one? I am. Bring it on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. <laughs> Again, that word righteousness just yeah. kind of makes me cringe a little bit. <laughs> it's a hard one. But the, what makes it hard is the understanding we have nowadays of righteousness, you know, as that rigidity, that absoluteness, that intransigency, that not being able to change one's mind, not, not willing to accept anything else, right? That makes it difficult. So how do you understand righteousness within the Beatitude? Or maybe, maybe you know the origin of the word righteousness. <laughs> Because you know every origin. <laughs> yeah. So one of the meanings and one of the ideas that is out there, um, taking the right way is literally, you know, following the flow of river, the current of river. And for me, this definition or the way Jesus understand it here is believing only in God's laws. And, you know, if, if, if the law by God contradicts the law by human, you should be on the right side. And those who seek the truth those who try to find the real answer, not the illusory answer of, you know, the universal illusion we are in. Those who try to take, I think that was the red pill in Matrix. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the cherry flavored one, yes. Yes. So, <laughs> so they will find and the truth will fill because only the truth can actually fill you up. There you go. Only the truth can satisfy your thirst and hunger. There you go. But but I think what's what's important to to point out in what you're saying, Misha, is that the laws of God are not, you know, the laws necessarily found in the scriptures or the laws as interpreted by man, but truly what is true. So look for what is true. Yes. And and in this search for what is true we do need to let go of all our opinions. 
all our beliefs, everything we think we know and that we have established as truth so that we can actually find truth. You know, I was reading this morning that it is your point of view that keeps you from seeing truth. <laughs> you see? And yet the, the, the ego is made of point of view. So you need to go to the origin of that point of view and let, let that go in order to be able to find truth. You have to go before that ego, before that point of view was even formed. Yes? There's a, there's a beautiful book by Ari Parva that talks about the Mahabharata, and it says there that for something to be true, you need to find it in your bloodstream, in the town squares, and in the galaxies. And so, again, you know, in, in this search for truth, you have to be able to find it everywhere, all the time. Otherwise, it can immediately be dismissed. Yeah. No. no. Sorry. No. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I was going, because they are talking about, you know, thirst and hunger, I was remembering the, the Sufi say, you know, like, look, look for thirst. Look for thirst. Don't, don't look for what will quench it. Look for thirst. And so we, we, we find this idea again of emptying yourself and, and looking for that, that emptiness so that it can be filled. Looking for that, giving up, surrendering everything you've known and, and refusing, you know, like, of course, being thankful for what, is, what it is filled with but never misinterpreting it by the question itself, the openness itself. I like what you're pointing to, the idea of emptiness, you know, being empty in your mind, being poor in your spirit. I remember I was reading the biography of Charles Darwin and the way he describes himself. So now Charles Darwin is probably one, if not the most legendary scientist in the world. Now he's like on the same level with like Albert Einstein and you know Newton. Like he is top of the crop. But in his biography, the way he describes himself is like he is very mediocre scientist and human being and he always had this view on himself and he explains that because i knew i'm very mediocre i had you know to defend my theory of evolution from every point and to defend the theory I had to open myself towards attacks. And he would allow pretty much every human being, not even scientists, criticize him. Because he, he could not rely on his you know, intelligence. Basically, he says, everything I could do is just observe the nature, what is there, without you know, any preconceived notions, and whatever 
question arrives, whether in my head or from someone else. I'll try to answer this question with just curiosity, with curious mind. And, and I would never call my theory a law. Just because I, I, I was never sure. And now, you know, theory of evolution is uh, one of those theories that was able to hold itself through centuries. Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, like the, the mere fact of curiosity and, and realizing how it is, a, it is at the core of everything in the universe. It is part of the essence of everything in the universe, this curiosity, this, this quest for just more, you know, just knowing, seeing, observing. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So hungry and thirsty. Hungry and thirsty. Perfect. Okay, ready for the next one? Yeah, I'm feeling inspired, Misha. Bring it on. Okay. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mm. How do you understand mercy, Misha? I understand mercy as forgiveness. Okay, I am going to insist. How do you understand <laughs> Every time when we judge, every time when we describe or differentiate, it comes because we don't understand the unity. You know, in yogic tradition, the idea of reincarnation and all humans and spirits being reincarnated at the same time. So, let's say that the, the person, you know, has died and uh, spirit flies to God. <laughs> and now uh, she has this beautiful conversation with God to, to ask all the questions. And one of the questions would have been, so how do I continue? Like, will I wake up as a baby in, in the next century? Or what is next? Is it consequential? And God will say, oh, there is no time. You will basically wake up now as a baby. And like, so can I wake up as a baby to myself who just died? And God says, yes, for sure. That's very possible. And like, so how is it possible that I just died, so I'm, I'm that spirit in the body, and I just woken up as the same spirit as his baby or her baby? How is that possible together? And the answer is, oh, it is because you are the only one in the universe. Everyone you see is you. And every interaction you've ever had and you will ever have is you. Yeah. Always with you. So by not judging and forgiving another human being, you're just basically forgiving yourself. And if everyone would forgive, the level of human consciousness will go so high. 
that one day we will truly wake up as gods. You know? I find that so interesting, Misha. You know, this this week I had the chance to be part of a of a conversation with a group of people in which we were asked to explore forgiveness, but we were asked to come, you know, empty again. Like whatever we already knew about forgiveness was off the table. We could not talk about that. It had to be a pure exploration. And what started forming for me, you know, listening to everybody and just allowing my mind to go wherever it would, giving it absolute freedom. What started, what started to form for me was forgiveness as an interpersonal exercise. So I remembered that quote by Ram Das, you know, like we are all just guiding each other home. We're all just walking each other home. And so it came to me that part of the difficulty that we can find in forgiveness has to do with the apparent need that we have for our pain to be recognized, not validated, just recognized. Because when it is dismissed or minimized, you know, or not taken into account, the pain is, is tremendous. Like, and, and, and there is this need for it to just be seen. And yet once it is seen, once it is recognized without, without judgment, that pain seems to dissolve instantly. Have you had that experience? Yeah. So the pain seems to dissolve instantly. And so I was wondering during this conversation, you know, what if that, what if that need to be seen, you know, for our experience to be seen is actually the way we walk each other home, right? Mm -hmm. What if by seeing the pain of the other and understanding it as it was for him, not judging it from my point of view again, yeah. understanding it like that, was what allowed me to see that when my actions are not coming from wisdom, what they can do, the pain they can cause. And so in a way, having our pain be seen allows the other to realize, oh, this is what can happen when, when I am not aligned with my true nature, when I am not aligned with a pure heart when I am not aligned with God, if you want to call it that as well, right? Yeah. But it was the first time that I saw forgiveness as an interpersonal thing in this, mm -hmm. this game that we are all part of yeah. as, we, as we move towards recognition of oneness. And it was, it was an amazing thing for me. And then, of course, throughout the day, I was saying, oh, my God, this is so cool. You know, this changes everything. But by nighttime, I was like, okay, this has become a concept already. So I have to give it up, <laughs> open myself up again to what forgiveness could be. Yeah. And what that, what that brought in that moment was, oh, of course. How did I make up that forgiveness is just one experience? How did, I make, how did I make up that it could always look the same way? And I, I really saw for the first time that every single experience of forgiveness has been different in my life. Yeah. 
but I keep, I keep expecting it to become like, you know, the recipe. <laughs> Yeah, impossible. And and what has made forgiveness has been radical presence, you know, radical presence without my thinking, without my radical emptiness that has allowed me to actually move through what we call forgiveness and, and find a place of love and appreciation and gratitude again for the person in front of me. But I think that this blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy points directly to what you were saying before about attraction. You know, if, if you are willing to find that inside you, you will find it everywhere because that is true. That is an elemental part of your nature. Yeah. So many good points, Marina. One I, I, I particularly loved is about understanding that cause and effect happens at the same time. And actually, there is no timeline for cause and effect. You can have effect happen before the cause. Yeah. You can have it vice versa. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like... <laughs> and, exactly. And like, you see, I think we can actually damage brains of our listeners by doing these things with time and space. But everyone knows the idea that giving is receiving. The moment you gave someone, you already received. Yeah. People are like, yeah, yeah, we understand that as a bumper sticker, but like what that really means. Like I, I'm, I'm given, like I have given something to someone. Now, I am waiting for reciprocity. Like, where is the, you know, the, the goods coming my way after that? <laughs> or where is the service coming my way after that? But in reality is that if you have given and someone accepted, the transaction is complete. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes me, it makes me think back to uh, a quote attributed to the Buddha. It says, if you knew what I know about the nature of sharing, you would not allow a single meal to go through without sharing it with someone. Yes. Yeah. That's the whole thing. I mean, from oneness, everything changes. Everything is now and everything is complete. Beautiful. So hard. So hard to understand at the same time. Well, because there is no time. <laughs> and, and there is nothing to understand. Of course. <laughs> there, there is just remembrance. Yes. That's the whole point. <laughs> so the next one would be blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, again, let's take the future out of it, right? Yes. <laughs> let's take the future out of it and let, let's understand it as a description. Yeah. So the second you become empty, you become pure. Yeah. You see God. Yeah. It's inevitable. And I remember Carolyn Miss now saying, in the old times, you know, you would think... 700 times before saying, I want to see the face of God because it was a terrifying concept. But nowadays, everybody seems to be willing to see God's face. 
And the only thing that is needed is to stop seeing yourself. Yeah. You know, I also, like when I was a kid, my, my parents used to take me to church and uh, they would show me, okay, look, this is God. They will, they will point towards Jesus, right? On the cross and they, okay, this is the son of God. And as a child, I would think to myself that, okay, this is he and this is me and I'm not him. And then they will say, there is the Father and there is the Holy Spirit, so there is Trinity. And again, I would think as Spirit is not me and God is not me, so there are like three guys sitting somewhere and <clears throat> they are definitely superior. They are almighty and, and powerful. So I'm like, yeah, I'm just a human being. Yeah. But as this journey towards truth progressed, today I don't see any difference. I don't see any space between us, which is amazing, you know, which gives me a peace of mind. And I'll never think that there is any separation. But what we still don't understand is the concept of true unity yeah. and non-duality. And this is really hard to comprehend unless you seek for it. Well, but again, you know, it's a <clears throat> the understanding that you can gain of it is a deeper knowing. It is not a rational understanding. It can't be. Yes, and, and I love the fact that I was discussing this yesterday with, <clears throat> with someone, the fact that it is called non-duality. You mm -hmm. see, no, it's not called unity or oneness, it's called non-duality, because in it there is a recognition of the two coming together, but a recognition of the two nonetheless. Like, yes, we are entering the realm of paradox, in which more than one thing are true at the same time. Right? So, looking at the two sides of the coin. Yes, unity, but multiple expressions of it. Yes, divinity, but we are having a human experience. Yes. Do you see? And I, and I love the game between the two because when you, as soon as you start rejecting one of them, or you stop seeing one of them, there is suffering. One way or another. So even though they might not seem, you know, reconcilable from a rational point of view, you, you cannot reconcile them when you, when you reject one, when you do not see one, there is suffering, which points us to truth. I like looking at it, you know, there is a puzzle and every single piece of this big puzzle can be a picture itself yeah and then you you bring them all together and you see wow oh my god like that's the whole puzzle like there is a bigger picture but if you show like if you look at the at the single puzzle you're like oh that's beautiful yes you know 
and you don't have any feeling of incompleteness. You look at this piece of puzzle and you think, oh, that's, you know, that should be alone. And then you see the bigger, 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 bigger picture. And uh, it looks like everything is a piece of puzzle and big picture together. Of course. The one as largest than the sum of its parts, but the, the oneness in its parts. Yeah. And the big illusion is about this understanding that salvation is found in individual piece of puzzle. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we get fooled by the idea that, you know, happiness can come from accomplishing or that happiness can come from not accomplishing, you know, the, the, the complete opposite. Yeah. And what is the point that they come together and they form something completely different? Yeah. And the moment we see it, we see God. How do you think, you know, the, the moment when someone has purified her heart, what's, what difference will she perceive in before and after? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> that's a tough question. But I'm tempted to say perfection. Mm -hmm. I'm tempted to say simplicity. I'm tempted to say love. I'm tempted to say oneness. But I, but I, I don't, I don't. I am not sure there is a process to purify the heart. Again, I just go back to remembering, oh, right. The process is already complete. There is nothing to do. So it's, it's, it's accessing a different reality. It is not a process that is supposed to happen within the same realm, within the same kingdom, you see? It's the access to a, to a different reality that has to do with finding suddenly truth beyond my opinion, my point of view, my belief. Maria, do you think we go through layers? You know, bringing this idea of multi-dimensional universe and hundreds of alternatives existing at the same time and finding truths means going through layers of different alternatives until you find the real one, even though you'll ne you, you're never sure you found the real one. Sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it doesn't. I can, I can say that much, you know, what is the ultimate truth? I don't know, but, but sometimes it feels like there is layers. Sometimes it feels like, Suffering is one layer on top of 
the layer of consciousness, right? The layer of peace. Sometimes it seems like joy is another layer, and sometimes it feels like absolute truth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. So we have another one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. <sighs> yeah. Well, that one has at least five rabbit holes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like separation, someone you will call a, a child of God, someone you will not. Also, who is the peacemaker? Yes. What does what does making mean? Means. Yeah. What do you mean, children? Is there separation or not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Well, it's a, it's an interesting to explore. You know, in in Jewish tradition, in, in Kabbalah, you have um, two things. One is is called uh, Tikkun Etzmi, and another is Tikkun Olam. So. Tikkun me can be translated as um, fixing, you know, you, you need to fix yourself. And uh, Tikkun Olam is um, you, you need to fix the world. Now, in, in this tradition, the, um, the latter always starts with a former. So you need to first fix yourself before you can fix the world. Otherwise, if you are, you know, broken, you will break the world, right? Um, what I think about peacemaking is that there is no way you can bring peace to this world if you haven't brought peace to yourself first. And the second paradox is once you brought peace to yourself, there is no need to bring peace to the world because all the world is within you. All that and vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you see the, 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 the peacemaker part for me right now makes sense when I see that there are two apparent opposites that are not. So for me right now, the peacemaker appears to be the one that can contemplate both opposite at the same time without having to fix that, without having to choose. And, and, and that opens up the possibility for such a deep peace holding two opposites at the same time. And I love that, that, that you say, you know, it starts with one, but as it is with one, it is with all. It is with everything, everyone. And, you know, there is, there is no starting point because they come together, you know, at the center again. Mm -hmm. Now the part about children of God. <laughs> I don't I don't 
I cannot say it. I, I know what that means. But I, I, there is a sense of a reflection in there for me. They will be a reflection of God. Yeah. And, and the reflection is able to <clears throat> recognize its origin when it, when it sees what is reflecting. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, the, the idea of reflection itself, recognizing itself, <laughs> points to that same ability to hold two opposites at the same time as true. There is a third rabbit hole, I think, in, in, in this phrase, which is called children of God. Yeah. You can, you are already a child of God. So nobody is taking that from you. Everyone is a child of God. But if you want to realize that, you need to bring yourself to peace. But again, we go back to the sense of realizing, Misha, of not accomplishing, not getting there, just realizing. Realizing, absolutely. So what is, what is called to you? Does it imply uh, the recognition from another? So you, you see, we understand we'll be called children of God. It's like someone will call you. Will will name you. Yeah. The way I understand is that you will be summoned or you will be, you know, given the right to go and help others. Hmm. So there was the person named Jesus, and he was called a son of God to help humanity. So normal, regular human being who realized himself was now called to help others, to help. And when you're helping others, you're just helping yourself. Absolutely. So you are now called to help other pieces of this consciousness. So you're realize themselves. You're being called to be the light. You're being called to awaken. You're being called to reflect truth back to the seekers. Absolutely. Beautiful. So that's you know that's how I understand that, and I I think that while there are millions of paths to God, all of them are always through peace. That's so beautiful. Yeah. You just melted my heart. <laughs> oh, I tried. <laughs> I could feel it. I feel it so beautifully inside. Thank you. I love the fact that you are you are bringing the calling into that context. It it almost sounds like you will you will fully embody what it is to be a child of God. Yeah. Amazing. You know, as a side note, Marina, you know, I never 
thought I will become a coach, to be honest. <laughs> Neither did I. Yeah, it, it, it's not that like you you are born and you're like, hey, I know what I'm going to do with my life and uh, I will be a coach or I will be a teacher or not even close. I thought about myself pretty much my whole life as the C-level executive and that has been my career and that has been my ambition. I spent in corporate like 10 years and I had no plans at all to change my path. But one day I woke up and it was very usual day and um, I realized that I cannot continue and there is another path. <laughs> and what I understood at that day that this path has been always opened for me. That I always was supposed to do that. It is just that I had, you know, con confused mind, and that's why I didn't follow the path. So I can't say that I was called by, you know, by God directly. Uh, Nobody spoken to me in uh, scriptures or in words. <laughs> Otherwise, my, my, my wife probably would have called uh, 911 and uh, they, they would treat me. But it's just one day I woke up and I had to resign. You just knew. I just knew that this, that this is it. But you see, Misha, that, that calling yeah. is in everyone. Mm-hmm. It has endless, endless faces, but it is in everyone. Yeah. You responded. You were meek. I was meek, for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And this is actually happened when I was also poor in spirit. How do you know you were pure in spirit? Not pure, but poor for sure. Okay, how do you know you were being poor in spirit? It's like there was nothing I was after. That is gold, yes. <laughs> you had surrendered. Call the, call the search off. Exactly. Like there was nothing to chase, nothing to seek. Yes, like when, like when Rumi realizes that Shams lives inside him and calls off the search. Yes. Like, the miracle lives inside me. We don't need to look for him anymore. Yes. <laughs> okay, so the next one is blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do you understand as persecution? You know, when, I, when we think about success, we generally think about, you know, material things. And I had a few weeks back conversation with a client of mine and I asked you, hey, do you think Jesus Christ was successful? And 
she started with, yeah, obviously, you know, thousands of years after he's remembered. I'm like, yeah, but do you think, do you want the same success for yourself? Well, yeah, that's the thing. It depends on how you define success, right? If, if success is being remembered, you know, thousands of years later, well, there are other characters in history that absolutely call successful that I would really, really, really don't want. <laughs> yeah. So she, she, she came over and she said, I want to be successful. That's my desire. And I'm like, so do you think Hitler was successful? For example. Or do you think Jesus was successful? But what I think, what like my definition of success today is, you know, discovering the truth, discovering what fills me, hmm. what satiates my, you know, my thirst and my hunger. So that's the definition of success for myself. And it might happen that for the vision you have, you will be persecuted. Other pieces of consciousness might disagree with you. Of course. Yeah, you might be judged and accused of. Absolutely. And... You know, the worst they can do to you is destroy your body. That's probably the worst they can do. Or body of your loved ones. Yes, or they can destroy bodies of uh, those you love. So that's the worst. And since for us, success is about material possessions, about our health, about strong bodies, beautiful bodies, and, you know, big houses and a lot of money in the banks, losing that will mean that you have lost everything and this is hell. But what Jesus points to, he says, you know, even if you are killed, even if you are persecuted, for what you know is right. For what you know is true. Yes. Don't worry. Don't, don't worry. You will discover the heaven. And that's, again, another paradox. Absolutely. But you see, again, if we, if we take time out of the equation, you know, the kingdom of heaven is already here with you. You have already seen. And because you have seen, you cannot not be guided by that inner wisdom. You cannot not be guided by his will, if we want to put it in the in, in scriptural terms, yes? You do not see loss anymore. You do not see defeat anymore. Because you have a deeper, wider understanding of what is actually going on. And so what I think this is pointing to is you will have found the kingdom of heaven, you will be persecuted for that, judged, you know, pointed to, because you are not complying with the laws of men, like you said. You are not complying with the smaller game of life and how it, it the rules that have that we have said about it. 
so you will be misunderstood and you won't mind. All of that, all of that, which is the worst thing that in my mind they could have envisioned in that time, you know, being persecuted. All that will not matter because you will have found it. So it's not a, oh, look to be persecuted for it. No, <laughs> it's, a, it's a description of what it will be like to actually inhabit heaven. To actually inhabit the perfection that you are witnessing moment to moment to moment. Nothing will matter. Yeah, I think persecuted means disagreed with. Yeah, probably. Yes. You know, because one of the most basic human quote-unquote needs and desires is to belong. So you will have stopped belonging to what you should want to belong according to the human laws. You will be a cast. You will be cast away. You will be shunned and yet that will be part of the perfection that you will see that you will be able to inhabit yes you won't mind yeah there's enormous solace in that you know in, in that promise of even the worst will seem like heaven hmm. okay we are Misha Yes. Okay. So blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Well, again, you know, it's a, it's a continuation of yes. you know, me being truth. Me and, ble and blessed means happy and at peace. Yes. Me being, being the key, me being truth. And therefore, truth being the, the key to the kingdom. Yes. So inhabiting truth, you will be happy that they persecute you and judge you and whatever happens. Yeah, it's a continuation of the same. Do you think there is a difference between being happy and not caring? <laughs> not, not caring from where? Do you see? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't care because I know better that it's not real. Yeah. Being happy means understanding beyond that judgment that this is perfection now. Yeah. And that okay, let's try. One, right? Pardon? This takes us to the last one. Yes, and the last one is rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There you go. But this one changes, because then he stops talking about blessed. Yeah. And he says rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. And also, this is the first time when he calls 
those who are persecuted. He calls them the prophets. Absolutely. But that has to do with that embodiment that you were talking about earlier, of being called. Yes. What is the origin of the word prophet, Misha? I'm sure you have something there. Uh, no, not, not really. So, the, um, for example, in, 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 in my language, in, in Russian, which is my native language, I guess our listeners guess that by my heavy, tough accent. Um, so, we have the idea of fetus. So, prophets is pro-fetus, right? Yes. The... Um, idea of fetus in, in, in my language is understanding of the universe as the whole egg. The understanding of the universe as? As an egg. Egg. Okay. Right. In which everything is, you know, and you can grow and experience all the connections within it. So it means that you you see you see all that coming and all that was so that's the the, the the prophet now to make it simpler being a prophet means having deep understanding yeah there's a there's a, a there's a sense of being the first in there as well you know? yes being the first and but again if we take away time, then the first becomes the one, right? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And so, yeah, there is, there is, there is almost a warning there, you know, like it, it will not be easy, yeah. but it will be worth it. There is a, there is a promise of, it may not be easy, but it, but it will be worth it. It will be everything you have wished for. And every suffering that it might bring, every difficulty that it might bring, will, will even add to the gladness and the rejoicing. Yeah, so true. I have another question for you. <laughs> oh my God, okay. <laughs> so in, in, in these beautitudes, Jesus introduces a few things. He introduces heaven, kingdom of earth, and hell. So kingdom of earth, kingdom of heaven, and hell. Now, we, you know, you and I, we understand that probably Jesus didn't see the world as opposite. He knew the non-dual idea right so why still he talks about hell and heaven and kingdom of earth hmm. well again i think those are just descriptions of the experiences you can have of life mm -hmm. as you know if you are in a, in in presence of truth if you are in agreement with truth and if you are in disagreement with it. So he points to the, you know, to the many variables that are possible 
to experience as, as we oppose our self, quote unquote self, to oneness and, and where we are experiencing life from. That's all. You know, Jeff Foster has a beautiful, beautiful quote that says, heaven is the present moment and hell is wanting the present moment to be different. But the, one of the most beautiful, there are many, but one of the most beautiful implications that I see in that statement is the fact that heaven is already a given. But you are so loved that you are free to create a hell out of it if you want. <laughs> you see? And everything in between. Yeah. I have a very similar metaphor in my head. I see heaven as you know like outer bubble outer bubble bubble and within this bubble you have you know hell as another bubble you can have access to and nobody said that heaven does not have sadness in it right so, and nobody said that hell doesn't have happiness in it. That is true. So you can be in heaven every moment, turning that into hell and having your sad and happy moments within hell as much as within heaven. There you go. So you can be in heaven, but experience hell still. Exactly. And vice versa. How, how empty you are and how, how much imposition you want, <laughs> you want to be exercising. Yeah. And it's like, it's very, you know, similar to this tradition of, from Theosism, which is yin and yang. Exactly. You have yin in every yang and vice versa. Absolutely. And that is, that is what makes movement possible. Yeah. Beautiful. Misha, I am left with such a deep and wide sense of peace after doing this exercise with you. Yeah. It feels, you know, so, so interesting. Like when I was joining the conversation with you today, I thought I have already some understanding of beautiful. And it's fascinating how far I have progressed with you by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I left whatever I knew at the door before going <laughs> with you. So I feel like, oh, this is new, you know, but like, like what happened to me this week with, with forgiveness, I, I think we have seen amazingly beautiful things, but I am so ready to give them up in order to see more of them. It's true. Great. Thank you, Marina. Thank you very much, Michelle. Beautiful exploration. See you soon. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the School for Mystics podcast.